0: If you tell someone you're the founder of a company and ask for their input, they're more likely to give you positive input because they don't want to hurt your feelings. If you tell them that you're a consultant helping a company understand how its market positioning lands, or helping a company better understand what it's doing well and what's not,
1: people are much more likely to give you totally unfiltered feedback. You're listening to Financial Grown Up with me, certified financial planner Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And you know what? Being a grown up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, everybody. This is an episode about rejection and what you would do differently the second time around. How to tell, were they wrong to reject you? Maybe your message could be a little bit more on point. The Muse founder and CEO, Catherine Minshew, has told the story many times of how she and her colleagues were rejected 148 times when they went to raise money for their startup, the Muse. Once the company got off the ground, it has been a massive success, and many people would say, well, those 148 people, they must be so sorry that they rejected it. And of course, that's true to some extent. But also, Catherine looks back and realizes she had a lot that she would do differently the next time. And in fact, she did do it differently when she went back for the next round of financing. And that's what we talked about. Here is Catherine Minchu. Catherine Minchu, you are a financial grown up. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And you are well known as the founder and CEO of The Muse, the amazing job site, and also well known for being rejected when you went to raise money a hundred Tell me how many, 140-something times? 148 times. It was like rejection for
0: breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a few uh, meetings and and no's in between for fun. And
1: you are the queen of resilience. And that kind of one thing that you talk about in your book, The New Rules of Work, which I should have mentioned to everybody. She's the author of a fabulous career book called The New Rules of Work. You talk about your personal brand and how important it is to kind of define it. That, that fundraising and the lack of it for so long became your personal brand. So you brought with you a money story that has to do with what happened next after you finally did get the initial funding and you went back for more. Tell us. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'll say
0: it's much easier, as we all know, to talk about Failure once you've moved past it, so it became much easier to tell the story of the 148 nos after we had already successfully raised our Series A and B rounds. So we've raised almost 30 million dollars in venture capital so far for the amazing. It's been a totally wild ride. So my financial story involves what I set out to do, or or rather what I did in the Series A to ensure that we had an outcome that was very different than the seed round, because obviously I knew how important it was for that next round to get it right from the go ahead. And so to try and condense the story into it, you know, into something very quick. We wanted to go out and initially we were thinking about raising six to seven million dollars, but Actually, given um, the advice that I got while preparing for a fundraise, we were actually told to start out saying we were thinking five to six or five to seven, and then slowly let the demand build. So instead of us going out for a big number and being less sure if the market would respond, start out with a smaller number, and then if the market's really excited about our business, let the kind of negotiations and the demand push it up, which ended up working really well for us because we ended up raising 10 million after we had overwhelming demand. I also was incredibly structured about the process. Process, probably because I was a little bit paranoid after having such a difficult time with our seed round. So ahead of time, I really worked the story, got all of our metrics um, you know, out there, thought about how best to position them, which numbers to lead with, what to put first so that we could really grab people's attention. We were obviously lucky in that we had really great revenue growth um, and a lot of very strong metrics. And then I actually created a spreadsheet. I took all of the investors that I was even remotely interested in talking to Put them in a spreadsheet, divided it up by location, so that when I was in New York, San Francisco, um, you know, Boston, Chicago, DC, etc., I could meet with people who were there. Then I included information about whether they had invested in any similar companies, any competitors, any companies that might give them a better understanding into what we did at the Muse. I would include notes from different meetings. I actually would also uh, rank how excited I was after each meeting <laughs> to continue conversation, so I could prioritize the ones that I was most excited about. I would say that really. Helped keep me on track. And so, you know, we were also able to run a pretty tight process where we pinned kind of all of our first meetings with investors to the same sort of two and a half or three week period. And, you know, it was really interesting because in the seed round, you know, we had a lot of trouble with investors saying, oh, I'm busy right now, but how about in a month? You know, I wasn't confident enough in the business. So we would just kind of take whatever we could get for the series A because I was running a process. I would write back to people and be like, you know, I'd love to talk, but unfortunately I need to get all of our first meetings done by X date. So, you know, I can push it a few days, but let me know if you're going to be able to make it work. And if not, um, totally fine. We'll keep in touch and maybe there'll be another round that you can participate in. And what was fascinating is a lot of people would say, um, Oh, let me, you know, move around my schedule. Absolutely. I can make it work. And suddenly we were, we were negotiating from a more even position and the ones that weren't able to, or the ones that said, no, sorry, I can't do it. They probably would have never backed the company to begin with.
1: True. Do you think looking back, obviously, when you were going for this more money, the second round, you were a stronger situation to begin with. But had you used the techniques that you were now using that you just talked about, would you have had more success the first time? You know, maybe it's so hard to know, because the seed round for a startup is
0: really different than later rounds, because people aren't necessarily looking at your metrics. They are to some extent, but they're really betting on you. And I think the fact that it was my first proper company that I was fairly young at the time, you know, this was six and a half years ago. So it was very early in my career. And I think that plus the lack of knowledge or understanding about what we were trying to do in the business were some of the biggest concerns. So I do think we could have had a better time and and controlled the process a bit more. But I also think they were just some fundamental and structural things that we had to get through and really prove on very limited capital before we could really go out and successfully fundraise
1: from bigger investors. So now, what is your advice to listeners and especially wannabe entrepreneurs that are looking to raise money, start businesses, and, and especially to young women? I would say, firstly, you know, you can't understate the importance of perseverance because
0: it is so hard in the early days. But I think that doesn't mean that you just keep doing the same thing without adjusting your tactics and thinking about how you could be more strategic. So I found it be I found it to be so invaluable to get the advice from others, especially other female entrepreneurs, because sometimes you know, I have a lot of great friends who are entrepreneurs who are men, but sometimes the tactics or the approaches or behaviors that would work for them didn't work the same when I did them because of you know unintended intentional or unconscious bias um, or other things. And so I found that it was really helpful to surround myself with a network of entrepreneurs of both genders to get a lot of advice, to test out different approaches to see what felt natural and normal to me. Because if it feels too unnatural to you, investors will probably pick up on that and it won't, you know, it won't help you communicate that confidence that you're looking for when you're starting to talk to investors about your business.
1: So one last question about this. For our listeners, how do you know the difference between Maybe your idea just isn't that good and that's why you're not getting funding and you should stop or you should persevere as you did because your idea just isn't hitting the right people at the right time with the right message. Absolutely. So you've just gotten to the crux of what makes this so hard, which is
0: that there is no silver bullet and you will never have 100% confidence or certainty either way, which is incredibly difficult. However, I think there are a few things you can use to help you directionally get that sense of whether your business is likely to be more successful. The first and I think the most important is to figure out who are your end users and do as much as possible to get unfiltered feedback from them. For example, if you tell someone you're the founder of a company and ask for their input, they're more likely to give you positive input because they don't want to hurt your feelings. If you tell them that you're a consultant helping a company understand how its market positioning lands or helping a company better understand what it's doing well and what's not, people are much more likely to give you totally unfiltered feedback. And you need that unfiltered feedback when you're trying to ascertain if you really need to to keep pushing forward on your business. So you know, in my case... Even though we were getting rejection after rejection after rejection from a lot of investors, we were hearing things from our users and from people who were signing up to use the muse that indicated we had tapped a nerve and we were on, you know, we were on a path that people loved. They wanted us to use the product. They'd say, you know, I love the muse, but can you do these five things? Make it better here. Change this. That's all positive feedback because that shows you that there is a need. You just have to keep getting better. And I think that is what gave me the oomph to keep going. But I will just call out, like, it's not like I knew the whole time, you know, oh my gosh, this is this is a great idea. I just have to keep going. I, I definitely struggled with whether I should accept that these people that were much more experienced than I, that were, you know, successful investors, maybe they knew something I didn't. And I was just, uh, you know, I just had hubris.
1: All right, let's do a money tip. You are the career Guru, and you have so many amazing ideas and tips in your book. I wanted to pull some out of there and get maybe your favorite tips that people can use in their careers and their ventures that they can maybe put to work ASAP at their next job interview or their next negotiation, what have it. I thought through a lot of different things I
0: could share here. And the one I came up with that I wanted to talk about today is the fact that when you negotiate, it is not just all about cash. And I think it can be really empowering to realize that because so many of us have anxiety about negotiating a salary, negotiating a raise, whether it's at the beginning of a a job search or uh, when you're getting a promotion. But I would encourage people, remember that there are a lot of other things you can negotiate for. So obviously base salary is the thing that people talk about most, but what about signing bonuses, uh, performance bonuses? If you achieve certain things, you can also negotiate for flex time, for vacation time, for a better title that might help you in your career. One of the most creative things that I've heard is people negotiating for a budget for professional development and training.
1: Specific money. In other words, not just saying, will you send me in theory? It's very specific.
0: Oh, very specific. In fact, there was someone at an organization that had mandatory salary bans that the um, the leadership wasn't able to go beyond. And so she said, Great, why don't you dedicate, I think it was five or ten thousand dollars wow. towards training, development, conference that will include my travel, and that will help level me up to be a better employee for you to let me do my job better. And it won't valid it won't invalidate the salary cap. Um, this will just be another way that you're investing in my growth. And they said yes. And I think that is such a great example of creativity when it comes to negotiation.
1: Amazing. That's such great advice. Thank you so much. Tell us quickly before we wrap up, what are you guys up to at The Muse these days and where can people find you? Absolutely. So people can find me at The Muse
0: or at Cayman on Twitter. As a company, we are, I mean, we're doing a lot right now, but we have been really focusing on. Uh, We rolled out a new feature called Discussions on Themuse.com where people can ask and answer each other's questions. So if you have a career question or you know, you want to learn more about negotiating a raise, we've got a way now to get advice from our community and hear other people's stories. And then I'm also just kind of fascinated down the road by continuing to explore this idea of how people make the best career decisions, how they find the right fits, and how we help companies tell their stories in a more genuine and authentic way that isn't about just, you know, come work here, we're great, but really shares the information people need to know to decide, do
1: I want to be part of that organization or be part of that company? Hey friends, here's my take on what Catherine had to say. Financial grown-up tip number one, like she did, do your homework, including learning what went wrong the first time. Even if you think the companies or whomever you were pitching to were wrong to reject your idea, we all have room for improvement. Catherine went out and asked for advice, for example, about how much money to ask for. She actually went for a smaller number based on the advice as a strategy, and ended up raising more money. So it worked. She was also much more organized and structured in her preparations the second time around. She was specific to each company and deliberate in her presentation. She planned geographically so she could be efficient with her time. Catherine even ranked how excited she was about prospects so she could prioritize and focus on her resources and the best allocation there. Financial grown-up tip number two, stand up for yourself even if you need them more than they need you. In Catherine's second round, when prospects said they didn't have the time to meet with her anytime soon, she pushed back and was able to not only get them to the table faster when they were interested, but also to level the playing field for a stronger negotiating position. Thank you for listening to this episode of Financial Grown-Up. Please subscribe if you have not already. Reviews are great if you have just a few minutes. You can follow me at Bobby Rebell on Twitter, Bobby Rebell One on Instagram, and learn more about the show at BobbyRebell.com forward slash financial grown up podcast. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode of Financial Grown Up with the muses, Catherine Minshew, and that we all got one step closer to being financial grown ups.